Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to receive the most popular AA daily devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from 24 hours a day, AA thought for the day, daily reflections, a book quote, just for today, as Bill sees it, plus more. You can get our distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the all-new official blog of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. You could also follow us on Twitter at The Way Out Podcast. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on Stitcher and iTunes and following us on Twitter. And don't forget to tell your friends about The Way Out Podcast. The Way Out Podcast is on now. I'm your host, Charlie L. This week, we'll hear the experience, strength, and hope of Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Hi, Charlie. Thank you. So I've told you a little bit about the podcast, and it's really exploratory radio in that uh, I like the interview to go wherever you and I take it. But the essence of this podcast is to share your story, what it was like through your active addiction, what happened, and what it's like now today. So let's get to know you a little bit better. All right. And uh, how old are you? I'm 36. Uh, you're a young pup. Um, <laughs> I <wish>. <laughs> I'm 37, so uh, uh, I've got miles and miles of experience <laughs> ahead of you. Uh, let's talk about uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. I grew up in Cottage Grove, right here in the heartland. That's right. And, um, yeah, I lived in Cottage Grove for most of my life. I moved down to Mankato right around uh, 2000, so that's uh, where I've been the last 12 years, and I moved back up here about four months ago, 104 days ago to be exact. So when, uh, so you've got 104 days of sobriety. 104 days in a row of sobriety, yes, sir. Is that nights and weekends, too? That's everything. That's fantastic, <laughs> man. Awesome. Congratulations. It feels great. I'm yeah, very man. proud of myself. Yeah, you should be, and I'm proud of you, too, man, because uh, that we don't do that by default no absolutely not um first time in my life ever trying to get sober i've been using for 26 years and um, never even tried never even tried to string a day together before this so tell me about your childhood was it a, a relatively normal childhood would you consider yourself a have a relatively normal upbringing yeah very normal um great parents um worked a lot um but did it for us uh two sisters I grew up with um one younger one older um but my folks were awesome. Um, I played sports, um, the whole works. I just kind of wanted to uh, explore myself is what, how I look at it. Um, that's, uh, that's about the gist of it. I wanted to get out and do it myself. I didn't want to listen to anybody. I was kind of a, a rebel without a cause. I hear you. When uh, was the first time that you had experienced drugs or alcohol? Well, I was young, uh, 13 probably, um, 12 maybe. Um, I worked at a catering service and... Uh, with my old man and my dad bartended and I served and served uh, food and um, did some cleaning, cooking, whatnot, but mainly served. Um, and I'd get done about nine, 10 o'clock and he'd work until one or whenever the bar was closed. And uh, that gave me a little time to <laughs> get into some mischief. So right. I found the coolers and found the beer and the wine and uh, got drunk a few times while working. Uh, he found out and gave me a good swift whooping, but 
Do you remember the first time you drank? Oh, absolutely. Uh, how, that, that, for me, it was a magical experience. It and was one that I'll never forget. It was Nirvana, man. It was just awesome. It was um, sit back and just ah. I mean, at first, right? And then then the then the spins kicked in and whatnot. <laughs> but 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 at first it was awesome. Um, good enough. I like I liked it good enough to do it again and 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 again. You know. Right. And for me, when I drank and when I first had that experience, I drank so much that I uh, almost died. Uh, of alcohol poisoning and we don't I don't historically remember the the bad stuff right I yeah. just remember how I felt and how amazing that was and that's how I should feel that's how life should be yeah and it did for me what I could not do for myself and so alcohol for me was my companion and my savior from the minute I tried it absolutely alcohol and drugs were the same way for me I uh I felt in power. I felt like I had the world by the balls and there was nothing that was going to stop me. Um, literally, um, I didn't care how anybody else was looking at me. I cared how I felt and That's I right. felt perfect. I felt like I was the king. Um, and it wasn't until the next day when I had every single person I knew pissed off at me and I woke up somewhere that I didn't know where the heck I was that uh, I realized, oh, well, I got some apologizing to do. I did that my whole life. Right. Man, a lot of apologies, but you hit on a couple of really interesting things in that uh, in that statement, Matt, when you said, I only care about how I felt. Mm, yeah, that was absolutely. me, too. Absolutely. I was selfish as ever. That's I mean, right. it's still hard to get rid of that. It's you know, I've only got one hundred and four days clean, but I mean, I'm still selfish, but not as much as I was. But only my ass, by the way, only my ass. That's a lot of time, yeah. man. That's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I mean? I mean, it's one I day did. at a time. It is. No, I uh, I definitely um, was the most selfish person um, I've ever met in my life. Uh, <laughs> um, as weird as that sounds, uh, I didn't care what anybody thought. I mean, wife, girlfriend, friends, best friends. As long as I was happy, then the rest of them can either join with me or be against me. But That's I right. Was happy. So you found alcohol very early. You're in Dad's bar. And you're sneaking alcohol as you can, right? Yep. Uh, take me through the next phase of your life. What was that like for you? You're going to school, you're playing sports. What are you doing? Um, yeah, I had ADHD. I was diagnosed at 12 years old. So Squirrel. I was really young. Yeah, yeah, really young. Um, so my school, I guess, uh, career was kind of short-lived. Um, I didn't really like school. I, I guess I didn't mind it. I liked the social aspect of it, but... More than anything, um, I was getting in trouble in school and whatnot. So um, I found myself easily uh, drawn to mm, maybe people I shouldn't have been drawn to and maybe would make these people do certain things that they shouldn't have done and normally wouldn't do either. But um, drugs came shortly after drinking, um, not, not too long after I started smoking weed. Um, and uh, within, the same, within the same month or so of even trying weed, I was trying acid. So, I mean, it was, it was, uh, oh yeah, it was all pretty, pretty quick for me. For me, whatever got me out of myself, right. Absolutely. And got me to feel like I thought I should feel. And again, that selfishness because nothing was more important to me than how I felt. Yeah. Wasn't about how you felt. Wasn't how about my mom felt, my dad felt that, that didn't matter. Oh. It was only how I felt. And I would go to any length to make sure I felt okay. Yeah, absolutely, me too. I mean, like I said, I had a loving mom and dad, but my dad was the man, you know, so he didn't really show mm -hmm. me how much he loved me, but, I mean, he always told me he loved me, but my mom always would cry, and, Matt, what are you doing this for, blah, 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 and I'd say, what do you mean? I'm just being me, and, you know, I didn't take into consideration her feelings and how much I was hurting her, um, along with my sisters and whatnot, too, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's it, selfish. It was doing it for years and years and years and didn't care didn't give a shit what anybody thought except for matt so you're in school you're not doing well you don't like it you feel like maybe you're a little bit of an outsider you've got the adhd which probably contributed to you feeling a little bit different and like maybe that you're not part of the mainstream oh yeah well i couldn't stay focused in school um so i'd get yelled at by teachers and then being yelled at by teachers just makes you want to be more of a clown yeah so I would do that. I would just do that exactly. Try to see how I could get under his skin, how I could get under her skin, and I'd do it pretty good. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it was mm -hmm. uh, it was nonstop. Um, it was a struggle going to school, and and then I dropped out in ninth grade, and then it was kind of. Uh, <laughs> going to the races from there. Sure. So you dropped out in, in ninth grade. What did you do? Um, well, actually, in ninth grade, um, I still went to school, but I just went for the lunches, the three lunch periods at park. <laughs> so I'd go down and socialize um, and uh, whatnot. Uh, but I was getting stoned. I was uh, drinking all day. I mean, literally, we'd, we'd uh, have a couple people. My parents were work. So we'd come to my house during the day, and we'd drink and smoke pot and um, sell pot, eat acid, sell acid. Um, back then, the, uh, the the biker crank, the pink crank, came popular too. Right. We were doing that. Um, I mean, we did anything we could get our hands on, except for inhalants. I guess that was about the only thing I never really touched. Um, but I mean, at that young age, doing all that, it, and it was nothing. I mean, we go down to the boat landing and hang out down in Gray Cloud Island, and just our purpose was just to get as messed up as we could. That's right. That's right. So you hit on another thing that was very important. And I think your story and my story is similar in that I n never didn't intend to get just wasted, hammered. Yeah. So when people said I had a problem, like, there's no problem. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> this is exactly what I'm setting out to do, man. Yeah. I mean, w w what? Yeah, no, I definitely didn't have a problem. Um, the only time I had a problem was when I couldn't get anything. That was my only problem. That's right. When um, you ran out. Yeah, I was I was pretty good at uh at um I didn't have any problems getting lit up, getting messed up ever. I mean, I was pretty good at it. Um and the best thing was I was good at hiding it. Well, I don't know if it was the best thing, but at that time it was. I was good at hiding it. So I could hide it from my folks. And maybe it was because right. I was a high strung kid, ADHD, so I mean they're always seeing me kind of in a different goofy mood. So it was pretty easy to 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 put a mask on when I needed to. Tell me about that next phase. So you you're, you go through your high school years and uh, you're rebellious and uh, you know we're the same age. grew grew up both uh, in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, so I can relate to the uh, the skipping school and uh, constantly getting stoned or uh, uh, messed up. And for me, uh, uh, marijuana was definitely the the mainstay at that time in my life and drinking was a binged event yeah. for me uh, mostly I think because uh, weed was so much easier to get yeah you know what I mean and I had a neighbor who had a micro fridge and he was a dealer and his name was Joe and he always talked like this <laughs> and he'd say hey Char <laughs> guess what and I'd be uh, what Joe do you know what I just did the other night? <laughs> no, Joe. I don't know what you did last night. Dude. <laughs> I did peyote. I'm like, that's amazing, Joe. Do you know what planet you're on? That kind of thing. So the, <laughs> the marijuana was a lot easier to get than alcohol was at that yeah, time absolutely. when you were underage. Absolutely. It was. It was uh, ready uh, whenever I needed it. Um, about 17, well, no, 16, I started getting kind of locked up because of my truancy issues, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I went to a harbor shelter uh, a couple times, um, just taken away from my parents' house and put in a shelter for 30, 60 days, you know. And, 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 and at my, you know, my age and my mindset, I thought that was cool, you know. I thought that was like, yeah, I was locked up, you know, 16 Badge years of old. honor. It was, completely. Um but then after that, shortly after that, 17, I think, was the legal age to drop out at that time. So when I turned 17, I was dropped out, and um, I started selling. I started selling a lot, and I'd get, you know, probably a pound every couple days at mm -hmm. first. And then um, a couple pounds of mushrooms here and there, vial acid. Um, but then about 18 years old is when I started big. Um, that's when I'd get 10 pounds a week. And... Uh, I was making money hand over fist, and I was loving it. I mean, there was no stopping me. You had arrived. Yes, I did. I really did. Um, me and my partner, we'd get 10 pounds. Um, we'd make a little cash. We'd pick up our girlfriends from the high school, and uh, we'd go to the Mall America, and we'd shoot up to Hooters. Yep. And uh, fake IDs and all. And we'd drink and drink, and 
they'd come and say, oh, we really like these dresses. And we'd say, oh, here you go. Here's a couple hundred bucks. Go get the dresses. Get a pair of shoes, too. Here, you might as well go get this. Keep us here and let us drink our beer and eat our pills and do everything else we're doing. So it was, uh, we felt like we were the good fellas, you know? Right. It was uh, pretty crazy. So let's fast forward a little bit. When did your, when was the first time you felt like this was becoming a problem and that you were no longer the one in control of your substances? Charlie, I never felt like that until, um, well, I'll just kind of fast forward here a little bit um, and I'll put it into high speed. Um, I was with my ex-wife um, for 17 years, this past 17 years. We just split up four years, or four, about four months ago. Um, we were together 17 years, moved on to Mankato together. Um, I was using the whole time. Um, the last six years, hiding it from her, pills, uh, dope, whatever. Um, Did she use too? She used until um, about six years ago, till just well five years ago, just about when we decided we wanted to have a kid. Mm-hmm. So she quit, but she was never addicted. She could do it on the weekend and go to work and uh, kind of a normie in that way. But um, she was one of those. Yeah, she was one of those. Yes, um, and and she did. She quit uh, just like nothing. And then I wondered why the hell I couldn't do it. Well, I've always, um, like in step one says, uh, admitted we were powerless. I've always known I was powerless over drugs and alcohol. I mean, that's kind of what I dug about it the most. Um, I wasn't in control. Um, but once to, once I actually found out that I could not, you know, my life was unmanageable was when I was doing dope. I was uh, banging dope in my veins um, for the last year and telling myself every time, God, God, please help me. I've always been a Christian. I've, I, I strayed for a while, but I, I said, God, please help me. Please, God, help me. And um, it took a long time, but finally he did. He kicked in my door with some uh, very nice police officers. And uh, first thing I said, they said, get on the ground. I said, thank you. Thank you. He said, what? Get on the ground. And that, that was that's how it started. So that was your moment where you surrendered. Yeah. And that's, you know, I always talk about where the miracle happens. And that sounds like the first miracle for you, where God did something for you that you could not do for yourself. I couldn't. I could not do it myself. I could not find myself enough willpower, enough control to actually do it. I knew it. Um, but I couldn't find it in myself. And then I, I begged God for a long time. And finally he did. I mean, it was like... If that wasn't a spiritual awakening for me, what was, you know? I wouldn't wait. I would have died otherwise, I think. I mean, I just never would have had one. I can relate to that because, you know, I was in, out of, in and out of treatment in the rooms for a long time and battled my disease for 20-plus years. And the I never thought I was able to get to that point where I could accept my disease. Yeah. I could accept that I was an addict and an alcoholic and I waged a gruesome and demoralizing war against my disease and it's an insidious disease and this disease concept for me is really important because it's not a moral failing it's not about willpower you and I and those of us who are addicts and alcoholics have a fundamental difference in our bodies that when we drink or when we use a flip a switch gets flipped and we can't stop yeah there's no ability to predict what's going to happen so that for me was a huge relief to really accept that and understand that and understand that this isn't about me being a weak person this isn't about me being a bad person this isn't about me being screwed up or messed up psychologically although i am Mm -hmm. very screwed up and messed up psychologically that's a completely different thing yeah (laughs) my disease doesn't allow me to safely use drugs or alcohol yeah 
I tell you what, um, I, I'm still, Charlie, I'm, to this day, I'm still having a hard time with that. Um, because, and I, I don't say this to, uh, for any other reason besides I feel it's the truth. My parents actually gave me, you know, instilled good morals in me. And, and I feel like, where, the, where were those morals when I was doing this? And I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son um, whom I absolutely would die for. I love him to death. He's my everything. And where was... Where were these morals when, when he was three, when he was born, you know, and six months later, I'm doing dope. I mean, it just does, I picked it up. I mean, where were those morals? And I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, you know, and I'm doing it every day and I'm reading and I'm hitting, you know, multiple, multiple meetings, but, um, I'm still trying to figure it out, Charlie. I am. The good news is, is that as you do, instead of think, at least my experience has been that stuff tends to fall into place. I had the same thing happen to me where I have this big divide between who I know I can be and who I am. And that was indicative of my life experience up until this point. I did things that were contrary to my morals. I did things to people that were contrary to the way that I knew I should treat people. I did things to myself and to my children that violated everything that was important to me. Yeah. I stole time from my children. I stole things from them that I can never give back. The shame and the guilt and the remorse over that drove me into a deeper depression and even deeper use because that cycle of shame and guilt and remorse and then I need to hit that eject button to get out of it because I don't know how to deal with feelings I never have I never I still have a difficult time dealing with feelings my go-to is to medicate those things. The good news is today I have some tools where when I have those feelings, I can do something different today than I did before. And when I continue to do something different over and over and over, I pray, I meditate, I reach out to people that I know in the the program. I go to meetings. I do service work. That stuff that I don't, do normally but I do that because I know that if I continue to act that my brain will eventually follow yeah it'll take a long time and the steps for me were so important in relieving that guilt and that remorse and that pain and I know that I get to be present in my children's lives today in the capacity that I'm able to yeah and that's amazing to me amen because I'll take the time that I have now that I'm present and really there with them. And it's a daily amend. Yeah. You know, that's how I deal with that. It's a daily amend to those children and to the people in my life, coworkers and other folks in my life. It's a daily amend that I make. And it's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. And, um, I was just talking to my mom about this the other night. Um, my mom, like I said, she's a very Christian woman, um, Catholic, and she's she's a devout Catholic, and mm-hmm. um, she has taught me my whole life just to believe in God and have faith and trust and trust. And I strayed for a long time because I wasn't. I wanted to be in control, and I wanted to have you know hold on to the wheel, and say God help me, help me, help me. But I'm holding on, you know. And I told my mom the other night. I said, Mom, I'm finally, I'm letting go of the wheel. I'm letting God take control. And Step just, three, baby. Yeah, and I'm just letting him completely take control. And, you know, um, it can't hurt me because, I mean, the, the old way sure wasn't working, you know. Um, but I told, I told her this, and she, uh, she was just, I don't know, beside herself. She didn't know what to say. She's, she's proud. Um, I'm proud of myself. She's proud of me. Um, where I'm coming. I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but, I mean, I'm getting there. Um, bingo. Bingo, Matt. That's the, that's the magic, man. Yeah. For years, we were so far away from the people that we wanted to be or knew we could be, and the gap was unconquerable. No way yeah. was I able to ever be that person that I knew I could be, and that was painful. And to 
be in a place where one day at a time you're getting a little closer yeah. and a little closer yeah. and a little closer to the person. Not that I want to be that God would have me to be. And yeah. that's the difference for me today. It's not who I want to be anymore. It's who God would have me to be. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I pray a few times a day and I ask him, just uh, show me the way. Just just show me what you want me to do. Um, I know I got to put in the footwork. Anything, my mom told me this, anything hard, anything worth anything in life is going to be hard. You know, I mean, it might be a simple program, but it is hard. I mean, you got to work at it. You got to put in your legwork. And I'm feeling like I'm actually starting to do it and actually believe in myself that I'm doing it. Not just do the motions, not just get up and say I'm sober, but actually live in recovery and, and, and start to feel better about myself, look in the mirror and give myself a wink and a smile and mean it. Um, it's been a long time. I pushed away the people that love me the most, my wife, for one, um, for the last three years. I completely pushed her away because I was nowhere near the man that I was supposed to be, and I was nowhere near the man that she deserved. So I pushed her away. I was ashamed, um, and fuck, I mean, look where it got me. I mean, it got me uh, single. Um, a part-time father, and uh, I can't change the past. I can't rewrite the past, but I can change the future, and I can rewrite the ending, um, and I'm just going to strive to be the best person that I can from here on out. That's all there is to it, and I mean, I'm not taking anything short of that. And that's a beautiful thing. One thing that strikes me and has struck me when I've seen you in, in the rooms is that you know, you've got a desire and this isn't a program uh, for those uh, uh, of you who are not familiar uh, uh, the 12 step program is um, a way and not really the only way and I'll never be one that says that the only way to recover is through a 12 step program it saved my life and it saved countless lives of others that I know it's not for people who need it. It's for people who want it. Yeah, and most definitely. That's the difference. Yeah, it is. Um, like I said, uh, I got so I got arrested. Um, I went to jail for a weekend. Um, this was 105 days ago. And uh, I got out, and the judge looked at me. And he saw a hurt man. He saw a broken man. And he said, Matt, I'm not going to tell you. You need to go to treatment. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You will have to take some drug tests if they call you, but you know what you need to do. And I'm in tears, and I am just got served to OFP. I can't see my son. I can't see my wife. I'm a freaking wreck. And uh, he said this. And you know, among, I mean, uh, against everything that the probation said and against everything that the prosecutor wanted to do, bail and this and that, and the judge said, you know what you need to do? Do it. I'm not giving you any bail. I'm not giving you any uh, stipulations. Do what you need to do. I got out. Two weeks later, I went to treatment um, on my own. I didn't get ordered. Um, paid out of pocket, thanks to my parents. Um, paid out of pocket, went to treatment. Um, I got kicked out of treatment after eight days um, just for being myself, ADHD. Um, it was like school all over again. It was. <laughs> I was a little too happy. Um, I guess I was happy to be starting my new life and just too, too out there for people. Um, I was taken away uh, from other people's program is how I was understood. But my counselor said I really wanted the sobriety part. I really wanted to be in recovery. I really wanted to be sober, but I couldn't work the program. Um, and I, I agreed 100% with her. Um, I came out, and the next day I was in a meeting, and the next day I was in a meeting, and the next day I was in a meeting, and the next day I was in a meeting. I mean, I did not stop going to meetings. I've probably been to 120 meetings in my 105 days, 104 days sober. So God bless you for that, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, it feels so good to go to them, though. It's weird. Um, people told me right away when I, like, the first day I got out of jail, they said, 90 and 90, 90. And I said, what is that BS, right. you know? And then I found myself doing it, and I said, what am I doing? I'm doing this, actually. And then sometimes three meetings a day, it's like, feels good. feels good. I've like never to... been to a meeting that I didn't walk out of feeling better than when I walked in. Absolutely. And, 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 and it's weird because some of these meetings, they can get so... Um, so this, like you hear a story from one person, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same, and sooner or later you can recite the word, what they're going to say. And, <laughs> um, and it gets a little frustrating, but then all of a sudden you just, you just take something in that he said something new and it's like, wow, one little twist, he said something different and I'm taking that in. Um, and that's what my thing is. Um, 
I try to take something away from every single story I hear, and I do. I mean, just to put it in my tool bag and kind of resonate on it. And um, and I do that. I take something away from everybody's story, and even if I hear it 150 times, I take something away from it. The new, the new, the new version. So I want to rewind a minute and talk about that step three because I think it's such a powerful step. I was in a meeting yesterday, and they talk about the two-step program, right? Which is you know, I feel great because I've accepted my disease and it's an incredible relief. I cannot begin to describe how amazing it felt to finally surrender yeah. to the disease that was out to kill me. Yeah. It's just straight up out to kill me. Yeah, absolutely. And I surrendered to it and it felt magnificent. And then the, 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 the second two part of the two-step program is now I'm going to tell everybody about it and I'm going to do all this service work and I'm on this pink cloud, right? Eventually, real life happens. Yeah. And all the things that we need to change about ourselves haven't changed. And that's a problem. Yeah. And the only power, because in step one, I admitted that I was powerless. Mm-hmm. If I'm powerless, then I need to have some sort of power in my life. And for me, that's God. Yeah. And it's a God of my understanding. Yep. And I had to act as if I believed, I had to act as if that power could help me. And I ran an experiment and I said, like you said, and it was a huge aha moment for me because you said, I could, I could go back. I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. I get it. And that's exactly how I felt. I don't want to, I, I don't want this anymore. I finally admitted and accepted and surrendered and said, I give up. I can't do it. Whatever yeah. I've done to this point, my best work got me here. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And like you, I was on the, uh, on the precipitous of a divorce. Yeah. Okay? And to a woman that I was madly in love with. Yeah. And I'd advertised myself as a certain human being, and I thought I could be that person. And it's a story of my life. I advertised myself as this person that I thought I could be, and I tried like hell to live up to it, and I did for a little bit, and then I couldn't. Yeah. And I fell back into my disease, and it happened over and over and over and over again. And I cannot tell you how many times that happened that I would advertise myself as a certain kind of person, yeah. in that, in, in, and I would fail, yeah. and I'd be miserable. It, because my disease would take me. Yeah. I did that to my kids. I did that to my ex-wife. I did that to my other ex-wife. Yeah. You know, and I have to do the change, which happens, begins to happen in step three because I need a power to change me. Yeah. Is that something that resonates with you as well? 100%, Charlie. I, I, I like, to, like you, um, my wife has got or my ex-wife wife whatever has a, a great job um she works for a county in minnesota and and uh so i had to put on a, a facade that hey i'm i'm this nice guy and i'm perfect and sure yeah. i might have a couple beers with you but i'd never get out of hand well the disease would take over and i'd screw up royally and i'd be apologizing to her to myself to her co-workers to everybody for days and then well, who wants to go out with that guy again? You know, he gets, he's a freak. He gets, turns into an asshole. Um, but that's my main thing. I have a choice. I can go back to my old ways. Um, and in the big book, it says uh, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and hope for different results. Well, I'm 27 years of doing the same thing over and over and hoping for different results. Well, I'd say that was pretty freaking insane. I didn't, it, it, I didn't learn from it. Um, and it's, it's slow. It's slow. Not until right now that I'm actually letting go of the wheel completely and just saying, God, let's go. You know, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent is, is I'm starting to actually feel some serenity, some peace, some hope. Um, and things aren't changing overnight, obviously. I mean, I, I don't expect them to, um, and and that's that's a huge thing. At first, uh, my first thirty days of sobriety, I was like, "Well, what? What? I got thirty days. What do you mean? You don't? What do you mean you don't want to talk to me? What do you mean you don't trust me? What do you mean?" Yeah. But uh-huh. uh, but now it's like I understand you don't trust me. I wouldn't trust me either. Um, but I'm starting to trust myself a little more. I'm starting to have faith that I'm going to live up to the person or the the, the things that I want to do, the thing, the person I want to be. Um, 
I've hurt too many people in my path of destruction. Um, I've lost, I forgot to mention this, uh, kind of a big deal. I've lost 14 of my best friends to drugs and alcohol, and I'm 36. Wow. Um, 14 of my best friends, like literally um, 16 of us had a bros tattoo on our leg, and there's two of us left. Um, wow. So it's huge. And I was still doing it, you know, after they had died and overdosed on drugs and alcohol and suicide. Um, and I was still doing it. And, uh, I mean, if that's not insane, what is? We are the lucky ones, Matt. And that story reaffirms my belief that we're the lucky ones. Yeah. For everybody that has the gift of recovery, there are countless others that don't. Yeah. Never, uh, I mean, recovery to me... Um, Never in a million years, 10 years ago, what I said, oh, I'll be in recovery someday. Never. I didn't even think about it. I thought what I was doing was working. Um, up until I got in trouble this time, I never thought I'd have the repercussions that I have now that I have to deal with every day in my life and look at myself and say, look at you've done to yourself. Um, look at this disease has done to you. Um, I lost my wife of 17 years, whom I love still to this day more than anything. It hurts me every day. And, and I can uh, see the pain, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it does. And, and and just to think about, I did this for chemicals. I did this for myself, by, you know, instead of giving all of myself to someone else that gave all herself to me, I gave myself to myself. I mean, it's just another selfish act on my part. And uh, taking things for granted was what I did my whole life. It's your disease. Yeah. The disease will stop at nothing. It will, it, it is entire goal is to isolate you and to kill you. Yeah. I firmly believe that, that this disease is out to kill us. Yeah, quick, uh, quick story here. I'll make it quick. But um, one night we were drinking out at the caves in South St. Paul and um, I was drinking vodka crayons all night long. Wait, there's caves in South St. Paul? Or West St. Paul? Or Robert Street? Anyways, we're partying out there and we're rave. Uh, having we're going to have to get back to that because I, I, I've i been uh, in, in a Minnesota native all my life and I've never heard of the caves, so we're yeah. going to have to get back to that. Battle Creek area. Um, no, not Battle Creek. Um, yeah, right along the river in Mississippi, downtown St. Paul. South St. Paul. Yes. And uh, we're partying out there and then my parents are in Florida for three months uh, every winter. And uh, we go back to my house and... I gave uh, a couple of my good buddies a little mescaline or acid, I don't know, whatever I had at the time. And um, so they were all tripping, and I was just wasted. Vodka crayons all night. I mean, bad night. A couple fights. Um, and I pass out in my chair in my bedroom, and I wake up probably about 5 in the morning, and I got low lights on. And I got four of my buddies sitting around me, looking at me. One's playing the guitar very gently. One's singing. The other one's just eyes are about to pop out of his head, staring at me. And I said, what the hell are you guys doing? And they said, well, you were spitting up blood all night. We were just making sure you were all right. I said, it's vodka crayons. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, so needless to say, they left the room and I felt, I kept sleeping. But, um, yeah, knuckleheads. But that's how, that's, I mean, that's how it was. My friends didn't even know for sure if I was right. spitting up alcohol or if I was dying. And right. it helped happen on more than one occasion. Uh, my wife came into a hotel room one time with my girlfriend at the time. We were young. Um, and, uh, I was eating green Valiums. And uh, I had him lined up next to the bed on the nightstand, me and my buddy. And um, I had green coming out of my mouth because I must have woke up and took a few and didn't, didn't pass back out too quick. So I had green coming out of my mouth. And she said it looked like I was foaming green at the mouth. Well, she had seen it one too many times. And she said, I'm out of here. See you later. Right. Right. And uh, I mean, that could have been it. I've had so many times that uh, I shouldn't be here. But uh, by the grace of God, I am. Well, you're now, here for a reason. That's for dang yeah. sure. You're trying something different now. You're trying something. You're trying to live in a different way today, and you're doing something different. And I think that's such a key element for us in recovery is to do something different and see what kind of result we get. And it's interesting. The old timers will tell you that step 12 says 
uh, you know, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result yep. of working these steps, yep. not as a result. They're very result. specific yep. that it's this is the result yep. is a spiritual awakening. You work the steps, all of them, and you will receive a spiritual awakening. Yeah. It's happened for me. Yeah. I do not today, for the first time in my life, have the obsession to drink or to use drugs. I do not have that obsession. And that obsession plagued me since I was 14 years old. Yeah. The first time I drank. So in that respect, that's a miracle. And there's there's more miracles down the line. The promises are real. They're amazing. And that gift that this program gives us is there for us if I'm willing to do the work, I'm willing to do something different, and I'm willing to take that leap of faith. I hated that God for a long time. My mom died when I was 11 years old, and I thought, you know I don't want any part of this. Yeah. You know, a God that does that to people, Yeah. that would do that to somebody and would allow that to happen, I don't need it. Yeah. So for me, that resentment against God had to be removed. And again, um, the, um, uh, we're um, actually, uh, Matt is actually uh, an FBI agent uh, in his full-time career, and uh, he's being beckoned to do clearly some very important investigative work. Um, so that was an important uh, thing for me to be able to uh, rid that resentment against God because I needed it yeah. to survive. I needed it in order to get well. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like I said, I, I, I strayed from God for a long time. Um, I went to a Catholic school for a couple of years, um, and my mom always said, just have faith. You know, what do you want to believe, that the the ride in a box, in a hearse, is, the, is all? That's it, and then you're done? That's just the end of your life? And she said, that's what faith's about. You know, you got to believe that you get to go with your mother and with your father and with your loved ones when you're done. And, and, you know, God's not giving up on you. You know, you're giving up on yourself. And that's what happened to me. Um, when I strayed from God, I was giving up on myself, not giving up on God. God was there the whole time. Um, I feel that I had resentments towards God for losing my friends, for losing the closest people in my life, just being able to just die on me and just, uh, commit suicide for selfish acts. And, and um, sickness. I mean, why would God do this? And, well, I'm kind of finding out that it's not God doing that. Um, there's other things that actually kind of come into play there. We're humans. Yeah. And we have free will. Choice. And we have choice. Yeah. And for me, that was a huge epiphany that I can use my will to do bad things, and people do bad things. It's just the way it is. Uh, or I can do God's will for me, which is very simple for me. God's will for me, in my belief, in 19 months of recovery, is to be of maximum service to God and to my fellows. And that's not people just in the program, although that's an important part for me to give back. Sure. But it's everybody. If I can be of maximum service to God and my fellow human beings on a daily basis. And I can break that down pretty easy then. Yeah. In any situation that I can ask what God would have me do in this situation is pretty clear for me. Yeah. Because I, uh, I've started to develop that relationship with the God of my understanding. Yeah. And it makes life not necessarily easier, but better. Better, yeah. Absolutely, because yeah, because it's not going to come on a silver platter. Um, he's not going to answer us and say, "Well, Matt, here is your answer." You know, that's um, right. He's opening doors for me. Um, he's turning on lights for me, not literally, obviously, but um, lights in my head. You know, like bling. There you go, Matt. You don't need to be. You don't need to do it this way. Do it this way. Um, you know, don't. I, I tend to overthink things too much um, when it comes down to life in general um acceptance was the huge is, is still a huge thing for me and I'm, I'm getting better with it i mean this is um 
all new to me trying to actually come and, 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 and figure out my feelings and being vulnerable is all new to me. It's crazy. I repeated acceptance so many times in the beginning and we have a very similar journey in our early recovery because my marriage ended too right away. Mm-hmm. I went to treatment and uh, my ex uh, was um, abused in a way that nobody should ever be abused by her father and her stepfather, who yeah. both who were and still are active alcoholics. I was still fighting against being an addict and an alcoholic at the time when we met and got married. Uh, had no... And, and hid that part from her on purpose because I didn't want to be that. Yeah. So when she... Turns out, by the way, the steps, just as a sign, are in order for a reason. And when you go to treatment <laughs> and you cry like a baby because you finally accepted and surrendered to your disease and then you go home to your wife and admit all of the things that you did wrong... <laughs> Like, all of them, even the ones she didn't know about, that's really reserved for step eight and nine, which is far down the program. <laughs> Hence why I am single today, Yeah, Matt. Yeah. So that's my biggest piece of advice to the person who is uh, coming into the program maybe for the first time is work the steps in order. Um, what would be, as we close, Matt, your biggest piece of advice to somebody that's just coming into the program they feel like um uh there is a world of guilt and shame and how in the world am i going to stay sober uh I, I i i don't even know how to live i don't know how to deal with my feelings i don't know how to, i don't even know who i am who, what would you say um uh, that, that's a great question charlie i'm i'm really i i feel like i'm really new to this um everything in the program but i tell you what um my main thing is i cannot change yesterday um but i can change tomorrow i can be a better man tomorrow and resentments i I have them still everybody has them but Mm -hmm. but don't dwell on them because all you're going to do is make yourself a better person by just moving on Um, we're not living in the past we're living in the present and the future um we can make a better life for ourselves, and uh, meetings, 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 uh, meeting people was huge for me, um, and it still is every day. I go. I've already been to a meeting once today. I'm going one tonight. Um, I uh, I just say, just be ready to start over. God bless you, man. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I love you like a brother. I love you, Charlie. Thank you, man. I appreciate being on this. That's a, it's huge for me. If it's anybody if anybody wants to get a hold of Matt, reach out to me at share at wayoutcast.com. You can also tweet me at the, uh, the Way Out Podcast. I will get you in touch with Matt uh, if you have any questions, if you want to just tell him that he's an amazing dude and he's, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, fighting... Uh, Uh, and uh, doing a great job. You can do that too. So thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There, you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety day will.